Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This is a continuation of my conversation with Ludwina Dortovic, founder of The Room Exchange. In this part, we continue speaking about the genesis of the Room Exchange and how Ludwina has been building this platform to tackle some serious issues in the Australian housing market. I hope you enjoy it. And so we did our research and, you know, market research, due diligence, and I spoke to people who were advising me, mentoring me at the time, and they said, yep, you should do it. I'll be your advisor. What we thought it was going to be in the beginning and where it ended up six to 12 months later is very different. And it, even now coming into our sixth year, and it's still very, very different. But in the essence, it's the same. And what we started off with, we used to call it exchanging. We don't use that language anymore because we've learned that you don't want to have to educate your market. It costs too much money. So that was a big lesson. So there's this thing called in marketing called God terms. If it's a God term, you don't have to explain it. And exchanging wasn't. But I was really stuck on the brand, the room exchange. It's a great name. I love it. The letter X, there's no E on it. We started off with, if you've got a spare room, you can have someone come and live with you two hours a day or 14 hours a week, household help in exchange for food and accommodation. So essentially someone could live for free and they just help out a couple hours a day. Now, to a degree it grew. A lot of education was involved. It was a bit of a, a challenge, but we ended up pushing through. We got a stack load of media. I knew at the beginning we would be raising capital. I had at the time invested a few hundred thousand of our own money in it to kind of kick it off. Um, it's very expensive to be um, investor ready. I think that cost us about Fifty to seventy thousand dollars just to get investor ready. That's all the legals and the data room and everything, the the advisement and all that sort of stuff that you need for it. Did about sixty pitches over an eight month period up and down the east coast of Australia. Kept getting great idea, darling. Come back in round two. Sorry, I'm being facetious here, but you know sometimes it was that exactly, and sometimes it was oh I don't get it. People were getting Airbnb, which was kind of like the big brother for us in a way, like they carved the way for that idea of having someone in your home that you don't know because we're not talking about flatmates, right? So we're not talking about people who are used to that. And we're talking about homeowners, right? They're just not used to it. And we just started to get with the capital raise. We, I thought, well, I'm either pitching in front of the wrong people or people don't get it. So I'm going to put on my own pitch event. I just hired the honey bar at the rooftop at the honey bar in St Kilda and, gosh, we only fit 120 people but 150 showed up. I don't know how that happened. We had the whole thing filmed by Spondo, who I'm investor with, and they do live streaming. So they came and streamed it for people who couldn't make it. I had kept a list over the eight months of people that I'd pitched to. I had kept updated every couple of months, and I highly recommend anyone who is capital raising to do that. So just almost it gets you used to sort of doing like shareholder updates in a way. You're just letting them know. And so they might just jump in at a time when you don't think that they would because they've found it interesting. And so I invited all them and then over, was just in the Australian Financial Review that day. We managed to get that. And I had Greville Paps, who was one of the judges from the Block MC the night. I had Dr. Jim Minifee, who was one of the directors of the Grattan Institute, open the night. I had Chris Adams, who he's been a very close friend of mine and advisor for many years, but he's got participant media, Facebook, Comcast media, you know, from the US like years ago. And then he's been in Australia for the last 10 years advising and helping companies get investor ready. He's just, he's a genius there. Todd 
clappers from South Australian government flew up to talk about the sharing economy. I mean, it was just crazy. And then I had these celebrities in the room who I knew and friends and family. And then overnight I had four meetings from VC funds and then Friday I closed the deal and raised 600000 So it was a lot more complex than that and it has been a very complex process. But, you know, we raised the capital and I hope if, you know, anyone who's listening, you know, diversity and minority, I'm a woman of colour, I'm in my 50s, I'm female. I'm, I, I didn't once think that I didn't get it because of any of those reasons but I know that I didn't for many of those reasons. But, again, that's me, my naivety. I didn't kind of see it, which I think is a gift in a way. And so I just thought, well, this isn't working, so I'll just do something that does. One thing I really wanted to ask, in this whole process of getting this event together, I mean, there were key people in every arena which came together to make it a success. Did that come down to an existing uh, a network that you take a lifetime to put together and then you can lean on that network to get what you need when the time is right? So at the time I had um, a PR agent, Honey Rosenwax. She, she was amazing. She got Greville and Jim Menefee and, and then the rest of them were you know, my contacts. So it was very much a joint effort. I can't take credit completely. It was a very much a big team effort at the time and I had – been investing quite a bit of money at that time in marketing and in PR. And because of Honey, I had a lot of Arise Communications at court. I want to give her that credit because she's she was really she was brilliant. Sometimes you just got to put the money in. And that was a lot of our investment that we put in at the time to get what it is that you want. Thankfully I haven't had to have a PR agency for years, um, mainly because of what we've already accumulated and because I'm really good with copywriting and writing articles and things myself. So it's a skill that I've put out. But I've also developed relationships with various different organisations and PR outlets and stuff that invite me to write for their outlets. So it kind of works that way now so I don't have to fork out that retainer each month for media. But there are a number of different ways that you can actually get media now without actually doing a retainer-based relationship as well. So it's worthwhile doing it. But Honey was just brilliant. But, again, it was like I've always put on events, so it was not – you know, I think the night cost me in actual hard cost for the food and drinks, maybe two grand, got the venue for free because we filled it up and had a minimum spend. So there's not a lot of money. It was just finger food and drinks. But then it was just marketing and getting people there. What I'd love to understand is, so you made a decision to get funded quite quickly. And was this before you, you really grasped that the business concept had legs, as in it would go the distance? So is that the case? And if that is the case, you'd be taking a considerable risk, right? Yes. In hindsight, I would not have raised that early because of that very reason. Technology in this country needs a massive overhaul. So when you're building tech, put it to you this way, if you're building a two-bedroom unit and it costs you $300,000, you know that every stage of that build, there's someone coming along to check it to make sure it's done properly before the next stage goes up, right? Why in the heck don't we do that with technology? So I knew it would be 150k spend to do what we were doing. We needed verification in built. We needed profiling. We needed a whole bunch of things. And if we were going to grow it, we couldn't start with just a whole bunch of plugins and then, you know, fingers crossed we can rep grow on that later. We needed to build something because we had to – what we, the foundation that we're going to build it on needs to be able to hold growth, okay? It doesn't need to have all the bells and whistles, but it needs to be able to hold growth. So I knew it would be about 150 and I was right. It will take a little bit more because of the, you know, the delays in technology, delays of like six to eight months and then that puts – We've raised capital, so then you've got disgruntled shareholders because you, what you said you're going to do, you can't do, and you can't fix it because you don't know what the problem is because I don't know code and nobody's there to look under the bonnet for me to check, right? So all I've got to go by is what the owners of this particular digital agency, development agency, are telling me. 
And then it just got to a point where it was so tenuous that like, I remember talking to my COO and he just said, you got to rip the bandaid off. And I said, I can't, like, I was so scared to let go of them. Not the fear that we wouldn't be able to get somebody else, but I was afraid of what we might find. When you looked under the bonnet. Yeah. And I was right. There was some really challenging thing was that they had charged as premium Australian development and project management rates. And when I got my new lead developer in, he said, do you know that they've outsourced to an agency in India and the name of the agency is all through the code. And I've got no problem with outsourcing and I would certainly have no problems with Indians. I'm Anglo-Indian. And I have team actually who work in Pakistan for me. I have no problem with any of that. But I have a problem paying 100 bucks an hour for something and then they're getting the work done for $10 an hour and pocketing 90 And the work that this agency was doing was not up to the standard that I assumed that we were going to get. So then we had to spend like six months fixing it. And this is, was this prior to, oh, this is building? No, we raised the capital to build the tech. So we had enough of an idea or had a basic kind of WordPress website that we had set up with the idea, people signing up to it. You know, we had a BuddyPress plugin, which was somewhat of a profile thing just to sort of see what people would answer and how they would answer the question. So we'd done that level of testing and a really basic MVP while we were building the tech. The industry just needs regulating. When you're looking at that kind of money and I reckon anyone who's listening to this now is they're nodding their head going, yep, I've been there, yep, I've been there. I, every single person I've spoken to about this, there's like the amount of money that has been spent and wasted in technology because of issues, things that don't get done probably, but you don't know because you don't code. Technology is an industry. If anybody wants to start a business in Australia, and I'm going to predict this will be a big one, set up an agency. It could be something as simple as, you know, as a client, me, I pay a fee, which is kind of like an insurance fee, I guess, to you to check the stages of development. And then you come back to me and you say, yay or nay. And then the agency has to be held accountable for the stuff that's not built properly. I bet there'd be a whole lot that would back out of that. But I think something like that, if you're spending 150 grand, putting a couple of thousand dollars towards having somebody check code at various different stages, I don't think anybody would flinch at that. So this capital raise is to build a platform that sustains the growth. But what I'd like to touch on a bit more is, I guess, the value proposition of of the room exchange. So you mentioned it's a way of getting accommodation in exchange for potentially doing some work. Is that the value proposition? It's changed now. The time of the tears of lockdown and COVID, and I'm from Melbourne, uh, we really utilised the time well. It was a very difficult time financially. It was a difficult time emotionally for everyone. But it was just like I had two options. We're either going to close up and I don't think anyone would question why because no one's opening up the front doors during COVID or we could use the time to pivot the company and reflect and see what's worked, what hasn't, what, what lessons we've learned and we make some predictions about where things might be post-COVID. And I had this feeling that rent, something to do with rent, and I had a really great advisor, Craig Bashir, who was really good with strategy and he really just helped me to understand the idea around pivoting. There's a few different stages of it. I remember almost having this tantrum one day with him and I'll say it's like that. I remember exactly where I was. I was crying. I was like, no, I don't want to let this go. The room exchange has to be all about exchanging. He called me on it really tough. He just almost like, you've got to change this. If you don't, I can't work with you. You know, it has to change. And I, I just said, I, I said, look, I actually agree with you in logic, but my heart hasn't followed on yet. Can you just give me a week and just let me process this? And for me, it was journaling and reflecting. And then I will come back. And when you've got a yes, so for me, if I say yes, it's yes. If I say no, it's no. I never say maybe. 
ever. The word does not come in my vocabulary at all. It's either one or I can't answer it right now. I need to need time. But when I come back, it will be an absolute. And so I came back and I said, yes, I now understand. My heart's in it. What do we need to do first? And then we just created the plan. So what we decided was that there would be an option of rent or rent offset. So exchanging, which wasn't a God term, became rent offset, but it wasn't the only option that people could choose. They could choose rent if they needed the money, the cash, or they could choose rent offset if they needed help. They could offset the rent, part or all of the rent. And the other thing that we realised was that although we had been insisting on verification as being mandatory from the beginning, we didn't lead with that and we didn't realise how important it was to our households So our customers would call households and housemates now and before they were guests and hosts, which was two kind of short-term holiday-ish language. And the whole rebranding of it, even just the language, the rebranding, the language was such a challenge. And I'm a writer and marketing's my thing. And it was just like, there's got to be a rhythm. There's got to be something that's easily sounded out and that makes sense and that you can create a visual brand, a sound brand, a story brand around it as well. And that's something that's not being used elsewhere. Realise that, With that rent, rent offset, initially we were aiming at kind of like the flatmates type market and we were doing all our costings based around that and turning it into a marketplace type platform where we just build the tech, you just come pay your listing fee and find someone, off you go, right? But then we realised post-COVID as things started to change and we rebuilt the tech and rebranded, we rebuilt the front end and the web, the public facing part of the website and, you know, did all our new videos and it was just so exciting too. I loved it. I was in my element. Realised that the issues post-COVID we're really hitting homeowners in such a big way and loneliness and social isolation and, you know, all of these issues, the value around community was increasing more and people were becoming more open with each other and wanting to connect more. And and I started just really picking up in the media about, you know, these things were happening and then, you know, cost of living and all those things were, you know, because the money that we all got through COVID has to come from somewhere and we all end up paying for it. And it's, it's like, well, the homeowners, the homeowners are our customers, not the flatmates. We go back to that yeah. again. That's your key customer. Yeah, because yeah, it's 13 yeah. and a half million unused spare bedrooms in 10 million homes across Australia. That's an incredible quantity. That's 2016 yeah. stats. There's going to be more than that now. But let's just, let's just run with 13 million for a number. Right now we have a rental crisis. That has never happened in the 30 years I've been in the property market. So we've got excess rooms and not, but not enough properties that are available. It's actually for rent. For rent. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a huge divergence. It's a huge divergence, yeah. right? But we we think about rent in this country in such a messed up way. Why is it at the age of fifty five last year when we rented this place, even though financially we're both very secure, we have a rental property in Melbourne that's you know positively geared. Uh, sorry, Newport that rent covers a the cost there. You know our online reputation is huge. Like you've. My, just factor in all the things that you would think that would give a person a three or five year lease. I could still only get a one year lease. So what do I have to do to be able to get a three or five year lease to give myself housing security being a renter? Imagine if you're young or you're a single mom or, you know, all the other issues that why people get knocked back. But then when you look at the actual rental market itself, insurers won't actually cover agents if they lease a property to someone where there's potential risk. There's all of these things that are wrong with the market. 75% of the um, investment properties in Australia owned by mum and dad investors who are not professional service providers. Yes. They're not buying that property to provide a housing service to someone. They're buying it yes. for their own personal wealth. Okay, I understand that. Not not hanging on anyone for it. 
whose responsibility is it for housing? Is it for us as individuals to buy and provide it? Or is it the government? But you touched on some really great points. Um, the first being loneliness and isolation, particularly in COVID. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever experienced what, what we've gone through. And how do you get people comfortable with opening up their homes if they've never considered doing that? And, and you mentioned the, the 55s demographic, which would have a, a huge quantum of, of rooms available. You know, how do you get them comfortable if they've never considered doing something like that? What you don't want to do is go into the mindset of having to convince them or educate them. We come from an assumption that what what are they experiencing right now? Well, it's a basic customer premise. What are their pain points? Yes. The pain points are that right now, if you've got a mortgage, how many interest rate hikes have we had this year? Six or seven, I think. Right. And now on an average, I don't know, $500,000 mortgage, what's that increase your monthly mortgage to? So a spare bedroom can bring in 10 to 12 grand a year in rent. There's your interest rate hikes covered, right? So the other thing that we're experiencing at the moment is worker shortage. Let's talk about tourism, regional tourism later, but there are hospitality businesses that are not opening full hours because they can't find stuff because they can't find affordable housing for them or trying to get a house cleaner these days. I think you can, like, it, it's insane just to get someone to turn up. Um, gardeners, there's all, there is a massive worker shortage. Childcare would be another one. If you have children and you want to go out on a Saturday night and maybe a couple of nights after school have them looked after for a few hours, trying to get part-time care for those short amount of hours is ridiculous. But if you've got somebody in the house who's living there who's happy to actually do that to offset part or all of their rent, well, then you've got a really great arrangement. That spare bedroom in your house all of a sudden becomes pretty damn exciting, right? And it might not just be rent. It could be, like you said, it could buy you some time. Yeah, absolutely. The thing, when you think about the concerns, and this is where we have the benefit of five years of communication conversations behind us, the first objection mainly is, well, having somebody in my home, what what if they steal something or, or what about if they're not who they say they are? It's kind of those sorts of things. And so when you're thinking about that, well, what would give them peace of mind in that way? Now, we used to have police checks, but police checks really don't mean anything because somebody could be a criminal and just not been caught. And we really don't want to hold that kind of information. So what we've done is we've, we partnered with Australia Post. We're one of their early adopters when they launched digital ID technology. And we've integrated it through an API, which is a, just a tech term for built into our system. When you put your name, name and date of birth and details when you register in your um, on our platform, if that information doesn't match exactly the ID that you, the government ID that you choose to use to verify with, you won't get verified, which means you can't connect with anyone, even if you've completed your profile. But you can choose a preferred name to use for the public viewing of your profile. So for me, because my first name is highly unusual and easily searchable, I would put something else, right? But the details in my private information on the platform that nobody else sees um, has to match the, the ID. And we don't store any we don't have any of that information and then you download the app and then it'll give you a verification through your app you click that and then it gives a verification on the platform and then you've got that app on your phone which by the way you can use at any other um participating business that you also accepts digital id and we pay for that so there's no cost at all so that gives people peace of mind because anyone who's got ill intention is not going to want to be identified in that way um and then the the profiles and this is our second value proposition the profiles make it easy to be matched based on personality, values, and lifestyle, so you feel like you're coming home to a friend. 
you don't want to come home to somebody who's got different value sets to you, who if you're very conservative and they're very liberal, it's not going to work. One of the questions that we ask is, do you like talking about politics at the dinner table? If you're at our place and you do, it's it, I'm making an assumption that you're you're not as agreeable as I would like you to be. You're more argumentative. And some people like that, but I don't like that at dinner time. I have conversations all day. I just want dinner time to be nice and easy, right? Yeah. But some people love that. You know, they love a good yeah. debate. But those sorts of questions which are easy to answer tell you a lot about the person's personality and their values. Morning or night person, are you an outdoorsy? Do you like watching online TV? They're very simple things to answer. Gives you a really good glimpse of the person. They've got the verification. You get an idea of who they are from the profile. They've added some photos. You get a vibe from them. And then you can click the button and connect. Then you chat with them through our internal messaging system. Still at this point, nobody knows anyone's private details. And then if you decide that you, you want to go away and meet, you can either have a video call on a number of platforms or you can go and meet in a cafe or if you're comfortable, you can meet in your house. But at this point, a lot of the stuff's already been checked off and then it's just a matter of whether there's a connection then yeah, you can live with each other, right? Exactly, yeah. Now, at this point, you can do all of that for free on our platform. There's no cost at all whatsoever. But we've just recently launched a premium matching service and, again, three times heard, can you help us find someone from a household? And so the third time I said, yes, oh, what can you do? And just straight then I had to think of something off the top of my head. <laughs> and I remembered back in the early days before the tech was built what I did back then. And so I just told them that we'd do that. And they went, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And then I said, oh, and it's based on the no match, no fee. So if you, AJ Chan, got to give him credit for this. He gave me this idea. He said, just do it the same way that uh, the real estate agents do. If they're finding you a, a tenant and if they find someone, then they get the first two weeks rent and if they don't, they don't. So it's just the same model. I've just been slowly testing it and I've had a 99% success rate in asking that question. And so it's like I need to stop asking that now because now I need to hire people yeah, to, do to it. actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the golden touch. Oh, my God. But you know what that means though? We've gone from a complete tech play yep. to people need to be involved. Well, of course, but yeah. But remember in the early part of the conversation, we were talking about how, you know, you think you're building one thing, but the customers will tell you something else. Yeah. And the customers are telling me, the homeowners are saying, really like the idea, but I'm not confident enough or comfortable enough to ask the questions that I need to ask to be able to know if they're right or not. Yeah. But I do. We do, right? And so what we do in that is that once the household's profile is completed, then we'll review that and then make some recommendations to change based on our interview with the household. Because often people don't can't write about themselves in the way that they can speak it. So then we'll rewrite it so that it puts their best light forward, give them some suggestions for better photos to put up. And then once that's ready, then we'll have a look on the platform and see who's there what housemates we have that want to live in that area where they're at and see the compatibility nature based on the profiles. If there isn't anyone on the platform, then we will advertise in that area and then within days we'll have leads come in of housemates who want to live in that area. So we have a process to cover that and then um, we interview the people that we think would be ideal and we video record those and keep them on file in case they're not ideal for this one, they might be ideal for another one. And then we go back to the household and we say, look, I want to do an interview with you and this person. Have a look at their profile first. I think you'd be a perfect match. And we set up a three-way interview and I know it's I know it's going to work because within five minutes I can't get a word in. And it's things like what if it doesn't work out is a usual objection. And, you know, we say, well, it's kind of like a relationship. If you're not having conversations, you're probably going to split up. 
Yeah. But if you want your relationship to work and to grow and to be nurtured, you need to have regular conversations, right? So we highly recommend that in the first month, at least one meal a week, you sit down and you know that that night is to talk about how things are going. And if you do that once a week for the first month, you probably formed a habit and then it will just be ongoing from there. Maybe do some activities together, whether you go on a nightly walk or just something that you can do together to build on the relationship with the person that you're house sharing with. And that's, that's how trust is built. And so when things become, if there is something that's uncomfortable or awkward, no, it's not going to be uncomfortable or awkward because you're going to feel comfortable actually going to them and saying, hey, you know, this is going on. What, what do you think we can do about it? We're sort of loosely talking at the moment about releasing a membership next year as well that gives additional support to households too that they can tap into and benefits that they'll get from that. We're going to government. We have got government attention. We're going to the tourism areas, uh, the regional tourism areas like down Lawn, Lawn Apollo Bay. Last weekend, my husband and I, uh, went to Lake Gildan uh, on Sunday. Couldn't get a coffee anywhere there or on the way back. Everything's, you know, hospitality is closed. Yeah, because we've got nowhere to house anyone. We want to help solve that problem. So we're having conversations with the local head of tourism and the council there. You know, simple thing that they can do. If they can get a few thousand dollars together, we promise we'll put it all on advertising in that area and help them unlock spare bedrooms in their region. It's incredible that businesses fall short because they can't house the workers in the local in local areas. That's often what drives, you know, the success of a business or a local business in that area. Yeah, absolutely. What's happening a lot, just for people who are listening, if you don't mind me just mentioning this now, we have a podcast called the Room Exchange Podcast. It's all about helping you rent better and helping you to understand the rental market better. And so I'm getting to have lots of conversations with people and I'm hearing these stories about what's going on in this space and what One thing that's happening that's kind of like creeping up is that people, investors who do have owned properties that have been rented long-term are putting them on short-term rental markets because less hassle and they can get the same yield maybe for three or four months rental on the occasional rental than having it rented full-time and because they're dealing with short-term holiday platform. It's just interesting that this word issues It's less hassle than renting to someone to live in. And that means that a lot of these houses are left empty most of the time. But it also means that a lot of these houses in these tourism areas are sitting empty and being taken up as opposed to being made available for the locals Uh, to live in. For locals. You got me? Yes. It's not the only problem, but it is a big problem. You also mentioned that there's been developments in what the room exchange is. You've got the matchmaking service as well, which... I also would love to mention that in the world of digital and AI and everything being automated, it's actually really nice to see that property-related stuff does actually have a human component too. Yeah, I'm hearing that too. Yeah, <laughs> I, should, I, I, yeah. I really wanted to say that as you were saying it. I thought that's, that's so awesome to be saying that. But what I wanted to know was, so you've got so many things on the boil and, and obviously further developments down the track. I'd love to understand more about your the, the personal side of how you build the business uh, and how you compartmentalize to allow you to say, okay, everything is urgent and I'd love to do it now, but how do you prioritize and learn how to prioritize to to make it all happen in a timely and sustainable manner so that you also don't burn out and still have fun doing it? Oh, look, that's a good question. Probably a pertinent one at the moment too, because it has been something that up until a couple of months ago when this started to sort of fall into place um, was becoming an issue. It's just a nature of business. Anyone who's at this level of business will know that that, that stuff, it just happens and you just got to deal with it. And again, I'll go back to journaling and asking good questions. When I have big stuff that's going on, 
I learned this through when recovering from cancer. I gave myself permission for a period of time to feel like crap. And one of the things I've learned lately, which has been a real realisation for me, is that I, I feel guilty if I let people down and I feel bad by saying I have to postpone because I'm not feeling my best today and I want to actually give you my best. If I've got a face-to-face meeting and it's just like, geez, I could lose 45 minutes today there and back, I'm going to see if they're happy to do a Zoom. And then, and it's really interesting, most of the time when you actually ask people for understanding, if you ask for it in the right way, they'll usually give it to you. And 50% of the time, roughly, it's actually good for them too because they go, oh, God, I could have used the extra time today. And so empathy is hugely important. Empathy for myself and also empathy and understanding for other people. And I don't mind when somebody actually needs to cancel. They usually feel really bad and the next time it works out even better. It's kind of, and but that's empathy. If you give people grace and empathy, they will... You know, they want to, you know, not to say that they wouldn't have the first time, but it's like, I actually don't sweat that because I know that they feel bad, but it's okay. You don't need to feel bad. And I know that it will be fine. So it's just giving myself the, the time to feel, oh, here's the thing. I don't think a lot of people actually understand when they're experiencing stress, anxiety, or mental health issues. And sometimes I experience anxiety. And sometimes I'm just, if something's just so big that I just, I can't actually break it down or write about it. I'll just let myself stay in bed for the day. But tomorrow, I've got to get my backside up and get on with it, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 but yeah. today, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to cancel everything. And I can't stay in bed all day. It drives me nuts. But it's a figure of speech. But it's just I need to, I don't know, go and paint or I need to just rest or I need to read a book. Or Because for me, when I can empty my mind of the clutter, that's when the creativity can come in. I need to be painting at least 10, 15 hours a week. That's really important. Some people meditate or run or whatever I need to paint as a result I've got like 50 paintings so if anyone wants any art please go to art by Ludwina on Instagram I've got to do the things that are important to me my kids have left home so I'm in a point in my life now that is very different you know there's lots of big changes so it's like well what what is life for me right now where are we heading it's an it's an, the next chapter last chapter of our life which is going to be I hope the most exciting I want to experience that in my business as well. So it's really, I cannot stress the importance of things like having great mentors around you, people who will tell you the truth. Do something that you're passionate, that you love, that's creative outside of your work. And then when it comes to your work, spend time thinking about, are you loving what you're doing? If you're not, it might be time to not be CEO anymore, or it might be time to pivot, or it might be time to maybe sit back and get some coaching yourself and say, well, where are your strengths? Another thing um, which might be helpful, there's there's two two other things I do that are really great for um, decluttering my my head is that every single thing that I have to do goes into into my weekly Trello board. And in my weekly Trello to-do list, I've got about four or five different sections. One's for the room exchange, one's for personal admin stuff, one's for my art, whatever it is I'm doing. I say things for myself each week and then I, I drag them around but I'll have a piece of paper. I've got it right, like so always something next to me. I've got to make an appointment with my physio. That'll go on my Trello board. So if a thought comes in my head, it just goes straight out and it gets documented down. And that to me, it, again, it just empties my brain out and it just means that I don't have to think about it and I've got more space there yeah. To be creative. I find if my brain's full, it's exhausting. I get stressed. I, you know, it's, it's, 
something or someone's occupying space in there, get out. I think you've got a wonderful process where you've hit the nail on the head. It's if you can write it down somewhere, then your head is uncluttered and able to process other things which you're supposed to be using your brain for, not just to store it. Yeah, it's not a filing cabinet. I can even sometimes feel overwhelmed just looking at my Trello board. So I'll have today, what needs to get done today? There might be four or five things there. I think are yep. reasonable to get done today, understanding that sometime an hour or two of the day we'll get sidetracked with something else and then I'll tick them off and then drag them down and put new stuff up for the next day. So compartmentalise. Yeah. <gasps> Favourite word. Oh, Lorena, this has been uh, an absolutely incredible conversation. You'll have to thank Miriam a thousand times for putting us in contact. I am so thankful for your time, for running through the room exchange. I'm actually really looking forward to how it develops over time and keeping in contact. Let's aim for about, say, March next year would be a good time to do another one. I think there'd be a lot of good news. And if I can just say now, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is probably the best thing, but please send me a message. Don't just, don't go on your phone and connect with me because you can't send a message. You're on your laptop. The website is the room exchange with letter X, the room exchange.com and all our social media is at the room exchange. And if you want to check out my art, it's at art by Ludwina on Instagram. I really love and welcome conversations with people. If you're in government or council and you've got a problem, you, you know, everyone's got a problem with housing, get in contact and let's play what if. There'll be something that we can do to help you, I guarantee it. There's a solution. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks again, Ludwina. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to sharing this one. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. This is the end of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Ludwina and her fascinating journey, which has culminated in her latest venture, The Room Exchange. What resonated most strongly with me was Ludwina's fearlessness and resourcefulness in grabbing opportunities and making a success of them. To me, they embody the core of entrepreneurship and business building. Ludwina, a huge thank you for sharing your stories, your business wisdom, and the value that The Room Exchange brings to the ever-present issue of housing in Australia. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please take a second to rate this podcast on your favourite listening platform. Your support, as always, means a great deal to me. Well, that's it from me for this month. Next month's episode will feature Sarah Riley. Sarah is the founder and managing director of Cred Consulting, who in the property industry are leaders in social planning, research and engagement. Definitely not an episode to be missed. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss it when the episode drops. Take care and bye for now.